Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is sponsored by audible.com. Audible has over 150,000 audiobooks to choose from. Fiction, nonfiction, bestsellers, and every category imaginable. And unlike a streaming or rental service, with Audible, you own your books. So to go to audiblepodcast.com slash bookriot for a free 30-day trial and to let them know we send you. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 69. We're recording on Thursday, September 4th. I'm Rebecca Shinsky. I'm one of the editors of bookriot.com. Jeff is out this week, and so I am joined by Paul Montgomery, a dear friend and now a co-worker of mine. He is the editor of panels.net, which is our forthcoming comics site. Hello, Paul. Hi. Hi, book people. (laughs) I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. We've done a bunch of podcasting together, but somehow never on this show. (laughs) So I'm really excited to have you here, too. I'm I'm thrilled to be here. I'm excited. We're going to talk about some some book news. And some comic stuff. And some comic stuff, too. Yeah, I found some things. It seems like usually there is not a shortage of stuff in the comics world. But like this week has been a little quiet on the internet. Yeah, in we've general. been behaving ourselves annoyingly. <laughs> um, if I had been on last week, there'd have been some really crazy stuff, but we don't want to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's too soon. Uh, we don't want to talk about butts without Jeff, certainly. Um, so before we do our first sponsor, I want to just have a brief moment in what we have recently started calling I Told You So Corner. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, If you've been listening to the show for a while, you've heard me and Jeff talk about uh, how much we love HarperCollins for experimenting with eBooks, with all sorts of digital stuff. Um, This week, HarperCollins UK unveiled a new website that offers direct sales of eBooks to customers, which is great. And the real appealing thing about it is that authors receive higher royalties through uh, when their eBooks are purchased directly from the HarperCollins UK website than they do... So far, so good. Right, right. That's great, right? Do you want to be sad, though, Paul? Sure. Uh, no. <laughs> I was just going to, yes, fine. Yeah, I'll be sad. <laughs> okay. Here's the uh, sad trombone moment, though, is that if you purchase your HarperCollins ebook directly through the HarperCollins UK website because you care about supporting an author and you want them to get that higher royalty, you have to read your HarperCollins ebook through HarperCollins proprietary ebook app. Proprietary is never a good... Is there ever an example of proprietary where it's... Oh, great, proprietary! <laughs> yeah, I don't think that exists. Uh, so I've been sort of dreading that this might be a direction that publishers would try for a while. And so I went... Um, HarperCollins US relaunched their website here back in July with some of the same features. So I went and tried yesterday, and I bought an ebook that was on sale through the HarperCollins US website. And sure enough... Uh, with your confirmation email for it informs you that you must download the HarperCollins e-reader app. 
Which is never good when a receipt has steps in it. <laughs> I know. Like I've already done the steps. I've already given you money. Why are you giving me more things yeah, to do? Right. The receipt. This is the reward part. This it is where we like, say, "Here's the thing that you got. Here's your bounty of goods." Congratulations! You have successfully participated in commerce. Here is great. This. An app. Another app for my yeah, thing. Yeah, and I tried to get around it. Like, I opened the email on my iPad, and I thought maybe if I was tricky, I could click the download your ebook button that's in the email and somehow voodoo it onto, like, Blue Fire or the OverDrive app. But that was no dice. Um, so I'm still all for publishers experimenting, but I want to just beg, like, and throw myself on the mercy of these publishers and say, please don't go this direction. No reader wants to have to have a HarperCollins app and a Random House app and a Simon & Schuster app and a Comixology app and a DC app and a Marvel app. Like Most readers don't even pay attention to who's publishing their books. Yeah, within I mean within comics, I think the I think the big one is Dark Horse has its own application, and so that's Hellboy and things like that, and the the Buffy comics. Mm. Uh, they have a lot of the licenses, and they had Star Wars for a while. That's now moving over to Marvel because of Disney buying uh, Lucasfilm and everything like that. But um, it's a great way for me to read less Dark Horse comics. <laughs> no, which is not what they want. No, and and the and the proprietary apps are never. It's like never like they're good. It's never like they're a better way to you know to yeah, read this, those books. This HarperCollins app looks like it was made in 2010, which in app age is like ancient. So that's my sad. I told you so. Corner. I would rather have been wrong that that was the direction, but. Here I'm going to segue in true Jeff style. Now we can talk about an app that we really do love. Um, Audible is back sponsoring the show this week. They have more than 150,000 titles to choose from on audiobook, fiction, nonfiction, bestsellers, pretty much whatever you can imagine. Lots of nerdy business books that Jeff and I love. Um, unlike a streaming or a rental service with Audible, you own the books that you purchase. Um, you typically get a subscription that allows you know one or two or three um, audiobook downloads per month. And once you download them, they're yours. The app is free for iPhones, for Android, for Windows, and for like any other device that you can conceive of. Um, you can download and listen to Audible audiobooks on over 500 compatible devices. <laughs> I just think that's amazing. 500. <laughs> like <laughs> Most of those are phones, I guess, but yeah, I guess so, but... Like, not speak and spell or anything like that, but... Well, but who knows? Who knows? Uh, there's a My Library feature that lets you access your books anytime, so you can access them on your phone, you can play an Audible player on your laptop, you can put it on your iPad. They have this cool immersion reading feature that connects to the Kindle Fire HD, so you can listen and read at the same time, and it highlights the text as you read along with the narrator, um, which I think the last time that we talked about this, I said I thought it would be awesome for my personal use for like reading Shakespeare <laughs> um, and <laughs> being able to hear someone do, you know, the rhythm of Shakespeare's language alongside reading the words. One of you, I can't remember who, so I'm sorry, but thank you for tweeting me, tweeted me that it was an awesome thing um, that you have actually tried and that the kids like it for being able to listen to someone read along as they read a page. So thank you for letting us know that. You can go to audiblepodcast.com slash bookriot and get a free 30-day trial of Audible, which also comes with one free audiobook download, and it lets them know that we sent you. If you're going to do that, you might want a good audiobook to listen to. And I believe that Paul has a recommendation. 
Yeah, a friend of mine was saying that he's going through uh, uh, Telegraph Avenue, uh, the most recent Michael Shabin novel, and he was having a little bit of difficulty with it because Michael Shabin's a little dense sometimes, a very decadent kind of prose, and um, I really enjoyed that uh, as an audiobook that I got through Audible. Uh, Clark Peters from The Wire and uh, Treme uh, is the narrator, and he's oh. so good. So I love when there are more and more actors coming in and doing, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a skill uh, to, to read an audio book and, and to be a narrator and not just everybody can do it, but there are some great actors doing things like there's, there's also like a free audible book, um, the, the Drizzt, uh, R.A. Salvatore novels, the Forgotten Realm stuff with uh, like Ice-T. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. Doing a free reading. Yeah, there's a bunch of different actors came in and, and read them and you can just grab it for free on Audible. So that's, that's so cool. cool. I didn't know Audible did those. Mm -hmm. um, my favorite Audible produced audiobook is our good buddy Brian Cranston uh, narrated The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien and Audible produced that last year. Yep. And I was, that book just kills me every time that I read it. Uh, but I was having to like pull over to cry in parking lots. <laughs> oh man! Remember when Cranston did uh, the read of uh, Ozymandias? Yes. Uh, the, before the the eponymous uh, episode of Breaking Bad, and and it was like, oh, I would love just Brian Cranston like break into my house and just read poetry to me. I know. And, like normally, if you wake up in the middle of the night and someone is sitting next to your bed reading poetry, it's creepy, or you're in a Stephanie Meyer novel, but. <laughs> But if I woke up and Brian Cranston wanted to, he could read me whatever poetry he wanted. I'd, I'd freak out at first, but then I'd go, yeah, I'm going to roll with this. I'm going to see where this goes. <laughs> Just come on over here, buddy. <laughs> Just come on over and, and read, I don't know, some Keats or something. Yeah, that Ozymandias reading was incredible. I couldn't, I just can't say enough great things about his reading of the things they carried. And it's the kind of thing that like the more that book destroys you, the better the reading experience, or in this case, the listening experience of it is. The stories are so conversational. Um, and it's so heavy that when I read it in text, I often lose that bit of this is really the narrator chatting with me. Yeah, he had a great rhythm to it. It was really measured. And so when you're doing it, I mean, part of that is sort of like a list poem. Mm. And you really want to have that deliberate kind of rhythm. And, and he was perfect for it. So that's great. Double recommendations. Yeah. My, skyward thumbs. Yes, they're all skyward, all my digits. Uh, I also want to quickly recommend an old favorite uh, on audiobook called Provenance by Lainey Salisbury and Ali Sujo. It's a sort of narrative nonfiction art history story about a crook who hired an art forger and how they made off with millions of dollars. This, this forger was just sort of like a down on his luck schlubby guy who happened to have a real talent for imitating the old masters. And uh, at first, he didn't quite realize that he was involved in something crooked. And by the time he did realize that he was involved in something crooked, he was in too deep and a little afraid of what would happen if he tried to stop or uh, disentangle himself from the bad guy. It is fascinating. Um, I don't really know anything about art, but I love a good heist story. And this felt a lot like that to me. You get to see these guys sort of plot out how they're going to pull this off. And provenance, the title of the book, comes from the ways in which they were able to fake the provenances of these paintings to convince collectors and museums and reputable, knowledgeable people in the art world that what they were selling was real. 
That sounds terrific. It's it great. sounds like uh, Orson Welles' uh, F is for Fake uh, as a novel. That sounds pretty cool. Ooh, I've not read F is for Fake. Now I have things on my list. Uh, but Providence, yeah, it's great. Um, it would probably be great in print, too, but it was really, really fun to listen to and kind of pick up that reporting style that they convey. Do you want to do some news, Paul? Let's do some news. What's happening? All right. This is, I think, a good happy note to start the show out on this week. Eleanor Catton, who wrote The Luminaries and was the youngest ever winner of the Man Booker Prize, is winning more stuff. And she just recently announced that she's going to put the money that she has been awarded from these latest prizes toward establishing a grant that just gives writers time to read. Uh, she... At, at an awards ceremony, she said that she's in the extraordinary position of being able to make a living from my writing alone, which is an extraordinary position. Um, Jeff and I talk about this some, but how there's this like smoke and mirrors thing of glamour around writers, but how very few writers who have books published, even by big traditional publishing houses, actually make their whole living from being a writer. Many, many writers have day jobs because they have to have day jobs. And it seems like they're starting to talk about that more, that it's becoming more acceptable like on the internet to admit that you're a novelist who like has a book out from Random House and you have a desk job for eight hours a day because being a novelist doesn't pay. Uh, so she's acknowledging that this is extraordinary, uh, that now she can make her living writing, and she sort of just wants to like spread the love around. Yeah, I think it's what is like three thousand dollars, and the whole idea is, she said that it's not about the the end goal isn't to be published, right? So there's so many different grants that are about I want to apply to do this specific thing, and she said a lot of the weight is towards actually writing the application, is actually pitching your book, and that those are the people who are good at that mm -hmm. particular skill are the ones who end up with those grants, and then they end up writing something that gets published and that's the end goal and for this it's more about the it's it's kind of a very book riot kind of thing about the the reading experience and what you what you gain out of that um almost you know emotionally and spiritually in a way um and so it's you're going to read whatever you're going to read and then at the end i think the, the all she asks is that you you know write something based on that uh, and I don't know if there are any parameters as to does it just go up on your WordPress blog or on your Facebook page or something. But the the whole idea is you're gonna you're gonna read and you're going to grow as a person. And it's mm -hmm. not just about I'm going to, you know, write this one particular book for this one particular publisher or whatever it is. So I think it's, I think it's cool. I think it's really cool too. And I've heard more writers than I would care to have heard say that they don't read very much anymore because the writing plus the having of a day job to support your writing doesn't allow for it. But, you know, being a passionate reader and putting as many words as you can into your brain, uh, I think is a crucial part of being a writer. And so she's supporting that. Um, it says here, this is a piece from The Guardian that we'll have in the show notes, um, but that she's following author Chris Cleave, who wrote Little B. She's following a call that he issued earlier in the summer for established writers to support the next generation 
of novelists, um, particularly as book sales are in flux and the future of publishing uh, is unknown. It's really cool to see uh, a writer, especially someone who's so young and has had a really remarkable success. I think she's, she's like 28, which is, which is kind of funny when you say, you know, it's help support the next generation like of writers. Like she is the next generation. Is, yeah. <laughs> and it's very likely, I guess, that someone who gets one of these grants might be older than she is, or even from a, an older generation of writers. But I, what a cool idea and a way to, to pay it forward and to tell writers your reading time is really important and valuable. Like, I just kind of feel like if a writer tells me that they don't really read anymore, I don't really trust them. There's also a lot of different reasons for writers, you know, to say that they have certain remarks. I remember a writer once saying, I don't, I don't read, you know, other writers because I don't want to steal from mm. them, like whether intentionally or not. And I guess that's, I don't, I don't know, that's, that's one consideration, but I, I, I don't know how you get pumped up about writing unless you, you know, you're reading and exploring what other people are doing and, that's the that's the spark for me, I know. So Yeah, that we all stand like in our in all of our creative endeavors, whatever they are, we can sort of stand on the shoulders of the people who made stuff before we made stuff. And you won't take someone else's exact words, but the like the history of publishing and the history of literature is like a history of somebody reading someone else's idea and taking that as a spark for a different idea or a different kind of story. And we can draw lines through uh, different generations of fiction and see how, you know, like you can see how Faulkner led to Morrison. Um, and mm. imagine Toni Morrison just deciding she didn't want to read. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't feel like it. I'm over it. I'm over, <laughs> I'm over this medium. And what right. do you do? <laughs> I mean, I've just, I've really had enough of fiction. <laughs> I don't know what you do. Maybe you read, stuff that's totally unrelated to what you're writing. Like if you're a fantasy novelist, maybe you go read a bunch of, I don't know, narrative nonfiction. So I that think that's a good idea. I think it's important to read in, uh, you know, a whole different range of genres and styles and voices. Um, just so you're not, I mean, if you were a fantasy novelist and then, I mean, that's, that's why there's so many, you know, elves and dwarves and things. Everybody <laughs> looks at Tolkien and that's like the only thing you can do or should do. And so I think it's important that, you know, the, not even if you're just trying to do a, a mashup genre, you know, like you're not just doing a steampunk werewolf romance. Oh, like, that, that sounds fun. There's, I think there are more subtle ways to, uh. To, to glean things from other genres and, and bring that into your own writing style. And it doesn't have to be as overt as that. So I think you're right. So good job, Eleanor Catton. You can be our hero of the week for giving writers a space and some time to read. Let's I, talk about some, some other heroes. Oh, please do. Like, uh, like LeVar Burton <gasps> publishing his first children's book. Well, you know, I know him now, Paul. I know. <laughs> You have, you have a photo with him. That's the extent of my knowing him. But I do feel compelled to mention it where every did, time his you, name comes Where did up. you bother him for a, a photo? <laughs> Just past the customs line in the Toronto airport. How long did it take you before you were like, I'm going to do this? Um, How long were you thinking about it? 
Uh, probably, or was it just instantaneous? It was like 15 minutes. Um, he Coming <laughs> <laughs> and hawing. Like. Yeah, I turned around in the line and saw him behind me. And once I had confirmed in my brain that that actually was LeVar Burton, I texted Jeff and was like, oh, oh my God, Jeff, LeVar Burton, Toronto Airport. And Jeff, you know, was his uh, usually encouraging and supportive self and I stood there and thought about it and I was like oh do I want to be that person who like interrupts a famous person who's in public but like you know this wasn't just any famous person it was reading rainbow so there's a connection it's you're um you connect you're connecting on the on that reading level yeah that's ex- I mean that's at least what I told myself so I decided I would regret it more if I didn't say anything to him, then, then if I embarrassed myself in front of him. And so I waited until we all got through security. And then I asked if I could take a photo with him. And then I just sort of casually mentioned that I was the editor of a really popular book, book website. <laughs> Did you say it that way? Basically. <laughs> Did you Ron Burgundy it? And he's yeah. like, well, we talk about many, you know, <laughs> leather bound tomes at our rich mahogany desks. I wish that I had been that suave um i know i like shook his hand and while we were taking our picture he asked um oh i asked him if it would be okay to put it on twitter because i you know was the editor of book riot and uh, that we had readers who would think that was super exciting because at least i thought it was super exciting um and so he very kindly asked what book riot was and i think i managed to contain my let me tell you all about book book stuff you know Right. Reading. It's the internet. Words. Books and... (gasps) Trilithium crystals. (laughs) Right. Uh, And he was like, he was very polite. And I then spent like an hour trying to get my phone to cooperate with the Toronto airport's Wi-Fi so that I could tweet the picture. (laughs) You know what would be the best is if you said it's a really popular books and reading website, but you don't have to take my word for it. And then you show them on your phone, Google Analytics. (laughs) Well, the numbers. These are the things that I think of later. That would be um, totally lame. You should not have done that. No. Uh, I did end up, like, I, we connected online after that, and I ended up writing a thing for the Reading Rainbow website, and LeVar Burton is someday going to write something for Book Riot. And then after that, we'll just shut the site down, because that will be the end. The last day, yeah. So Where, I think the big surprise, we... the big surprise about this story, though, okay, is, it, is <laughs> like, that wait, I, what are we talking about? I'm all of our he's writing his, his first children's book. And it's about a rhino swallowing a storm or something. What is it? The, it's rhino, the rhino who, who swallowed, swallowed a storm. storm. This is a great title. H- how is LeVar Burton never written a children's book before? And how does thing. this? How does this book come out on October 7th? And the news about it is just being announced on like September 2nd. This is what I'm saying. This is how do you how do you hide such a storm like this? You have to put it. You have to hide it inside. A Did rhino. the rhino swallow it? The rhino swallowed the news, <laughs> buried the lead. Um, I think it's great. I've always I've, I love LeVar Burton. He's awesome. I do, too. And LeVar Burton pulls off a level of like earnest passion for a thing that I think is difficult to pull off and have people still trust you and believe that it's genuine. But I just wholeheartedly believe it. I wouldn't be on the show talking about books if it weren't for LeVar Burton. And I'd be you know remiss if I didn't mention my mother who took me to the library when I was a very little kid for story hour. Oh. And no, she, she'll probably be listening to this and making sure, okay, he mentioned me. That's good. Because she always takes credit for that. That she Hi, took Mrs. Me to Story Montgomery. Hour. Thanks it's for doing thing. it. Yes, thank you, Dorothy Montgomery. You're a saint. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, but I'd, um, he's such a great advocate for 
for reading. And I love the premise of this story too, that um, it's, a, it's a, let's see, this it's a story designed for parents and kids to read together when facing stressful or difficult situations and emphasizes the helpers and positives in a child's world and the value in having friends and family work together to get through tough times. It's the importance of of collaboration and being able to ask for help, which I think is a really important message for kids that you don't have to just triumph over everything by yourself. Acknowledge the fact that sometimes I need, you know, I need a buddy to help me here and we can, you know, pool our resources and we can get through this together. I think Le- that's, a, that's a really important message that I like a yeah. lot. So. LeVar Burton is in it to win it. This is, this is great. I want to buy a copy for everyone that I know who has children or might someday have children. I, you know, when I saw, you know, the Kickstarter, I was like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta contribute to this Reading Rainbow Kickstarter. This <laughs> has to be a thing. Take all my dollars now. And his reactions, you know, whenever they hit a certain milestone within the Kickstarter, that, I mean, the, old, the, 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 the initial goal was like a million dollars that they wanted for it. And it made 500% of that. It did. It was a very successful Kickstarter. Seth and- MacFarlane supported the thing. Sure. And apparently everybody supported the thing because <laughs> right. they raised like five plus million dollars. And I don't know. It just seems like um, such a such a sweet guy. And uh, with all of his resources pooled into doing something great for kids and, and uh, literacy. So, yeah, I think, you know, like you said about not how you wouldn't be here, you know, f- without the efforts of the saint Dorothy Montgomery and also LeVar Burton and Reading Rainbow. So many of us feel that way and have so much, not just nostalgia, but appreciation for what Reading Rainbow did for us um, as kids who are now in our late 20s and early to mid 30s of it being super great to be able to nerd out about books. And Reading Rainbow did that um, well before we had the internet to do it together. It's just awesome to see it continuing and to see them adapting. They have this iPad app. Um, they're moving Reading Rainbow into the future. I just love the notion, like my nieces and nephews are going to grow up with Reading Rainbow the way that that I did and uh, that LeVar Burton is continuing to work on that and now is going to have a children's book. I think you're right that the most surprising thing is that he hasn't done this already. Yeah, I was kind of <laughs> shocked. It was like, really haven't, you know... I mean, it's. I mean, you want to you want to do it right, and maybe there's a lot of pressure. You're Lavar Burton, and you host the show, and you know, I don't want to, you know, screw up my first children's sure. book. And- when he has some collaborators. Speaking of the importance of collaboration, the book is written in prose and rhyme with Susan Schaefer Bernardo, and illustrated by Courtney Fletcher. So, one to look out for on October seventh. Absolutely. What's next, Paul? What's What's next on the agenda? Mm-hmm. What are we what are we talking about? How about how about Lois Lane Ooh. is finally going to appear in her own YA novel? That's cool. From the fine people at Capstone slash Switch, which I'm not familiar with, but they're the publishers. And it is by uh Gwenda Bond, who is known for the Strange Chemistry YA books. And you can also pick up for free a Kindle uh, ebook called Girl on the on a Wire hmm. about a girl who wants to follow in her father's footsteps literally across a tightrope. Okay, so this is a question from I'm new to, I'm you know pretty new to comics. Are there comic books that are that focus on Lois Lane as the protagonist or is she Oh all, sure. Oh, yeah, she are. I mean okay. she had her own uh, she had her own series um, in the Silver Age. Um, some of those might be a good example of uh, 
of empowered women in comics and others maybe not so much. Hmm. Um, but yeah, she's I mean, she's been a ma- mainstay since the uh, since the 30s. She she appeared in Action Comics number one right alongside Superman. So she's been around for 75 years now <sighs> and just an amazing character played by a bunch of different great actresses. And DC has been wary to give her her own series in the modern day. And I think there are a lot of people clamoring for that looking for female representation mm-hmm. in comics. And there's even been some great pitches by a guy named uh, Dean Tripp wanted to do sort of a YA comic, uh, sort of an all-ages, young Lois Lane adventures, sort of Veronica Mars meets mm-hmm. Lois Lane. That sounds fantastic. Exactly. That's the thing. It's like, I would totally read that. I would love to read that. And, um, and apparently DC passed on it, and that was a few years ago. But now... Uh, they're moving into uh, into the prose market. So this is going to be a, a prose YA novel uh, that you can pick up. It's called Lois Lane Fallout. Hopefully there will be more to come after that. And uh, there's there's actually there this is part of a trend. There's some there's also some Marvel comics uh, YA novels. Uh, Rogue and She-Hulk have their own YA books. Uh, one of my favorite authors, Dan Abnett, who does a lot of licensed work. Uh, also is doing some uh, some original stories uh, in prose based on Marvel Comics characters. So if you like the Guardians of the Galaxy movie this summer, which I very much did, uh, he has a book called uh, Rocket Raccoon and Groot Steal the Galaxy, <laughs> yes. which is wonderful. And it's to, and you know sometimes you think licensed you know books like you know movie tie-in thing. This is going to be totally phoned in, really inventive and thoughtful and um, and subversive. Uh, and there's a lot of like meta commentary about Marvel comics even within it. So that's a great book that just came out. And uh, right around the time of the next Avengers movie, Age of Ultron, he's got a book called Avengers, uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, featuring all the Avengers characters, you know, like Hawkeye and Iron Man and Captain America and the Hulk and Thor and Black Widow and uh, and some additional characters that we haven't seen in the movies yet, uh, facing basically all of the villains they've ever wow. had, it sounds like. <laughs> And so that's going to be prose uh, out next year, right around the time of the movie. So this is so interesting. Like, first, it's really interesting to me that DC has been hesitant to do this, at least to do this particular thing with Lois Lane, where Marvel seems to just be killing it lately with um, female characters that are presented in an awesome way and mm-hmm. with having you know people of color play main characters the new ms marvel is a teenage girl who's such a good book yeah. everybody should totally read Khan. it's so she's so wonderful um and that one's out in a trade now right with the first six issues yeah I believe, yeah this, this month together we the first trade of uh, ms marvel by g willow wilson and uh, adrian alfana is the artist and so it also seems to me like this boundary between who makes comics and who makes prose stories has become more permeable or maybe it's always been permeable and I'm just now starting to see it. So I will rely on your expertise about that. But like Rainbow Rowell, who is, you know, very well known for her young adult novels, Eleanor and Park and Fangirl is working on a graphic novel now mm-hmm. um, with a comics artist. And I can't remember. Um, I saw her at LeakyCon and she talked about working with the artist and how, you know, she has always written stories that are very dialogue heavy and that lends itself well to doing comics. And G. Willow Wilson is a novelist and now is writing Ms. Marvel. So like, what's what happened? Is this an Internet thing like the Internet makes readers, you know, open to seeing artists and writers try different stuff? Or is it just an evolution of the craft thing? What's 
What's driving think, this? What do you think? I think the the thirst for it, for more representation in comics and more, you know, going against the grain of the boys club kind of thing that the comics is or is perceived to be. Mm. I think that's always been out there. The internet makes it more noticeable. Um, it makes it... Um, there's a great like there's quote. A, we're we're going we're gonna to talk about a, a speech by uh, Jean Lu and Yang, I think, later yeah. on. And... Um, well, we can go uh, we, there. I guess we can transition to yeah, that. Let's yeah, let's go so there. Jean Luen Yang is is a graphic novelist, a uh, cartoonist, known for American-born Chinese. A great book, sort of diptych, I believe you call it, versus a triptych that came out last year. It's a two-volume set you can get in the box or you can read them side by side. Uh, Boxers and Saints, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. It's about um, the conflict between uh, Christian missionaries and traditional uh, or, uh, Chinese religion in China uh, as that was all going on. Um, great books. And he did a speech um, talking about diversity in comics and that whole idea of, do I have the right to talk about other races? Mm. Can I write as, you know, if he's, you know, an Asian American, can he write White characters? Can you write black characters? I don't think anybody really asks, can I write white characters, you know, right. if you're not white. But, you know, if you're, if you're, a, if you're a guy, if you're, say, Greg Rucka, um, comics writer, who's known to write great female characters, he's always asked about that. They're like, how do you write such great, you know, women? Mm-hmm. And he's like, why don't you ask me why do I write such great Male characters, yeah, you know, and it seems like it's, one-sided. Like it's I very don't, one-sided. I don't yeah. ever see people interviewing female novelists and saying, "How did you capture that man's voice?" <laughs> exactly. It's it's weird, and you know, why? Like, can you just do you know what you're saying? Just like let's <laughs> let's reverse the tape and look at the questions you're asking and how ridiculous they are. Uh, and it's and it's not just in comics. It's not just in books. It's in everything that I think we could all do better <laughs> about mm-hmm. the questions we're asking and the way that we're, uh, we're talking about these subjects. And so she gave this, this great talk uh, at National Book Fest, which is kind of dipping its toes into the comics realm uh, in recent years. And uh, there's a whole preamble to the speech uh, posted in this article in the Washington Post about how he's sort of an outsider coming in and saying, you know, I'm a comics guy. And hopefully there will be less of that in the commentary moving forward. Mm-hmm. Comics are books. Comics are relevant. There are a lot of great, you know, uh, conversations happening in comics. It's not just capes and tights. Yeah, so, we should make T-shirts that say comics are books. I, it seems <laughs> it seems ridiculous to me that we'd even have to make that. I know. You know. The the preamble to this piece mentions um, that the theater in which uh, Jean Lewin Yang was giving the talk was filled with people who quote seemed no easy converts to comics as true literature. Um, it, was, it was a bit heavy handed in the preamble. I thought that like this is this huge uphill battle that he's you know this this comics like, guy coming in and talking and to also, these snobby. This isn't just any comics guy you know not for nothing he has been he was the first graphic novelist to be a national book award finalist in 2006 for american born chinese and then he repeated that in 2013 with boxers and saints right this this guy has (laughs) done great work he's been celebrated in both comics and just the larger you know or a large larger books realm and anyways, he gave this great talk about um, the late Dwayne McDuffie, who was a great comics writer and 
talked about how he was inspired by the Black Panther character. A lot of people are clamoring for Black Panther to be one of the next Marvel live-action films. Uh, and I would have to agree, it'd be a great character to, to bring in um, to, that, to that cinematic universe. But anyways, he was inspired by Black Panther, who was created by two Jewish guys. Stan Lee and Jack Stan Kirby. By Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, yeah. And... Um, they, you know, there was some, there was some trouble in the beginning. I mean, it, it was introduced in like jungle comics and mm. every, you know, a lot of Marvel and DC characters back then when they were introducing black characters, it was like, he was a black character, but we're going to, um, preface his name with black, like it was black lightning, <laughs> like black, just in case black you giant. hadn't noticed. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's black something. And and it was just like to you know to to grab that market, I guess. And so that's uh, like on a Family Guy Asian reporter Trisha Takanawa. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's that's sort of like every everything had to be prefaced with that. And you know, obviously, it's not you know white Spider Man, right. white Doctor Strange. It's it's none of those things. Um, so, anyways, that character, as problematic as he was depicted in the beginning, went on to be this great. Dignified. I mean, he's 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 royalty. Mm-hmm. He was the king of his own African nation, which um, was one of the most advanced, civil, you know, uh, uh, cities uh, or, or or countries in um, in Marvel comics in that whole that whole world, that whole mythology. And so, it's a big deal character. And without Black Panther, uh, there might not be Dwayne McDuffie in comics, as as he mentioned in the speech. Dwayne McDuffie could have been a physicist. Oh wow. He actually, that's what he, you know, studied, and he was a genius, and he wrote some great superhero stories. He unfortunately passed away at a very young age of 49 mm. a couple of years ago, and it was just shock, you know, to the, to the industry. And uh, I, I wish he was still around telling great stories, but, but anyways, Jin Luen Yang, this great, you know, commentary on the fact that people are you know, shy to, to try things like that. Um, I, I think about um, about the HBO show Girls, mm. Lena Dunham, where she talked about, you know, we don't have black characters on the show because I'm not black and I feel like I wouldn't be able to, you know, to, to, to capture that experience, you know, from my own experience. So I write about characters that are like me. And it's a huge cop-out. It is. And then, I mean, as a sideline, when she wrote a black character on, uh, played by Donald Glover, who I know we both loved from Community, it didn't go so well. (laughs) No, because it was just about that. Right. It was about checking off that box. It seems like comics and literature in general, but really comics has an opportunity to do it because comics is constantly reinventing and like going back to the universes that it has created and rewriting those universes in some way or reimagining an older character in some ways. Like we're going to see Thor as a woman. We're going to see, um, is it Spider-Man is going to be black? Uh, there actually, there is a black Spider-Man who is based on Donald Glover, ah. um, this ultimate comic Spider-Man. And then, but the, uh, the, the new one is Captain America is going to be, right. uh, okay. Sam Wilson, who was in the, mm-hmm. um, Falcon in the uh, the recent Captain and America film. So, like, comics is doing a lot of work to correct some of its previous problems of defaulting to white male characters as heroes, it seems. It's, comics, I think, given that so many of these characters, it's 75 years of history and 75 years of mythology as told by 
this expanded cast of, of writers and artists coming in and, and they have their tenure on Spider-Man. You know, it's not mm-hmm. just one person coming up with these stories. It might have been one person that or, or, you know, a collaboration in the beginning of writer and artist and maybe some editors saying, we're going to create a character that's, you know, like he can crawl on the walls like a spider. Um, but after that, it's uh, it's this marathon and passing the torch one to another. The thing with it, it's it's folklore um, and folklore gets revised. Mm. Over the years, and that's okay. That doesn't mean that the original story was, you know, was weak. It just means let's let's adapt to today. Let's make this relevant to the people that are reading this right now, not to the people that aren't reading it anymore because they're gone. You right? Know, yeah. There's decades ago. Um, a writer, a, y- a young adult writer named Meg Medina, who um, I'm lucky to have live in Richmond, uh, won the Pura Bel Prey. Uh, prize earlier this year for uh, young adult fiction for her novel Yaki Delgado wants to kick your ass which is about <laughs> <laughs> right which is a young adult novel with a latino main character um who's bullied at school and in a great talk that she gave that I, I think we quoted on the show but that I think about all the time now with what's happening in publishing she talked about how she thinks you know that uh call it non-white characters, um, that main characters who are people of color and who are LGBT or who in any way don't represent or conform to sort of traditional standards of main characters in fiction. She hopes that that will no longer be considered niche soon, but that it will just be fiction and stories about who's here that will just acknowledge that our world is filled with all kinds of diverse people and that our fiction will reflect that. And now that our comic books will reflect that, that um, society has changed in the ways that we acknowledge minority groups, um, minority groups of all kinds, and that it shouldn't be a big, it's not a thing to get upset about, you know, that um, Captain America is going to be black. It doesn't devalue the Captain America maybe that you've read and loved in the past, but this is acknowledging that it's possible for a black man to be a superhero. It's possible for an Indian girl to be a superhero. Um, it's possible for a Latino boy to be the main character of a young adult novel. And it's not a novel about being a Latino boy. It's a novel about being a teenager. And many mm-hmm. teenagers just happen to be Latino. And part of the thing, and I, and I wish the publishers would take notice of this in, in, in comics, I mean, is that it's not just like black people didn't come down from outer space just like a couple of years ago. (laughs) And this is a new thing that you have to address. This is something that we all should have, you know, been addressing um, a while ago in the, in Gene Lewin Yang's speech, he talks about, I think it was, it was a Dwayne McDuffie quote that um, he was like, people like me are no longer invisible. Mm -hmm. We're inevitable. Now that was a, that was a great quote. That's awesome. It's, it's not just, yeah, it's, this is not something that you like, (laughs) <laughs> it's it's not something that's just been sprung upon you. <laughs> this right. is this is reality, and let's let's uh, let's take the blinders off is the big thing. Very cool. I'm going to do our next sponsor before we move on to another story. Uh, our next sponsor this week is I Want It That Way by Anne Aguirre, which is published by Harlequin. It's sort of in the new adult vein of stories about uh, younger, well, not young, but like young adult characters in their 20s with some sexy times. And uh, I recognized the title as a Backstreet Boys song. Um, I thought I was being really clever when I told a joke about I Want It That Way and other 90s songs that might be uh, great 
as romance book titles, but apparently Anna Geary all did this on purpose because she is, you know, smart enough to do that. And uh, I just thought I was cleverly recognizing a coincidence. And she has some other novels that are titled after Justin Bieber songs. So this is very, you know, culturally aware and relevant to uh, young adult readers. Um, I Want It That Way is the story of Nadia Conrad. She is a college student and she's um, struggling to balance maintaining her college scholarship so that she can satisfy her dream and the dreams that her parents have for her with also working at a local daycare to support herself. Um, and so she doesn't have much time, you know, for anything, let alone dating. But then, then she moves into a new apartment and meets a quiet but irresistible guy who lives in 1B. And his name is Daniel Tyler, and he has grown up too fast. He became a single dad when he was 20, and it turned his life upside down um, and brought him heartache. And so he is afraid to risk getting his heart broken again. Uh, but now his son is four years old, so he's 24. That gives you an idea of how old the characters are in the story. And he's struggling to balance his full-time construction job with night classes and doesn't really have much time for a social life. Uh, so, you know, he doesn't really want to encounter noisy students in the apartment upstairs until his path crosses with Nadia's and then they can't stay away from each other. <laughs> <laughs> so if you also want it that way. Uh, you can check out I Want It That Way by Anne Aguirre. We'll have a link to the book in the show notes. And thank you for sponsoring Harlequin. All right. Are you blushing? I'm no, I'm, no, I'm not. <laughs> All right. I, am, I got the reference too. <laughs> My thing is when you're reading the book, do you imagine the pop stars in those roles? Oh, maybe. I guess it's like project your favorite Backstreet Boy into the character. <laughs> I was like when I was, I guess it's more of like a, a ch children's or, or adolescent, uh, you know, chapter book thing when they would have thumbnails in the front. Instead of just a, dr a dramatist persona thing, listing who the characters are and, you know, what they do, that having a thumbnail, mm -hmm. like having a visual to latch onto. And so just imagine, you know, like, the you know, the ensemble of, you know, like 98 degrees and... <laughs> I'm going to need I'm going to need her to write one for the Gen X crowd and call it uh, like the right stuff so that I can read a steamy novel with Donnie Wahlberg. It's my favorite new kid on the block. There's so many possibilities and you there can really do are. that. You can do that with with a book. You might not be able to get them to, you know, agree to a movie deal. But <laughs> There's probably new kids on the block fan fiction on the internet. I should just find that. Oh, I'm sure there is. <laughs> Listeners, if you happen to know of any good in KODB fanfic, you know where to find me. I like that you, you're pretending that <laughs> you don't know that it exists and you haven't authored your own. I have a secret Tumblr for uh, like Jello wrestling with Donnie Wahlberg. It's <laughs> <laughs> very specific. <laughs> Somehow, Jello wrestling with like fill in the blank author has become the default when Jeff and I have to imagine a weird Tumblr for things. I don't know what that says about us or about this show. Um, so I want to move on to people doing cool things. This is another hero of the week slash cool smart library system of the week. Washington, D.C. has added a social worker to their library system 
to work with homeless patrons. Um, this is a piece by Mark Jenkins in the Washington Post. And uh, he writes about how for many public libraries, one of the roles that they play is as a de facto shelter during the day for homeless patrons. Um, in Washington, D.C., the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Library downtra- downtown attracts many patrons. And part of that is that the city drops off people from three different shelters there every morning and picks them up in the evening. Um, Jean Badalamenti is the social worker who uh, is now the the social worker for the Washington, D.C. Public Library. And so she talks in this piece about how the library is a great place for anyone to spend their day. You know, there's there are computers. You can look for jobs. You can connect with your friends and family using Facebook or email. You can work on creative tasks. You can learn stuff. You know, you can do all of those things that a library enables its patrons to do. Um, other cities have addressed homelessness in various ways through their libraries. Um, it sounds like Philadelphia has a cafe and Seattle has a coffee cart that are run by workers who were previously homeless. And Dallas produces podcast interviews with homeless regulars. But as far as Jean Badalamenti knows, D.C. is only the second city in the U.S. to hire a social worker um, for its library, San Francisco was the first. Um, and she's she sort of clarifies in this piece what her job is. It's not really like a one-on-one caseworker situation, though sometimes she does have direct interactions with homeless patrons who need help with particular things. But she's the big picture person. So it's her job to figure out how the library can engage more disenfra- disenfranchised populations in the city and make connections with organizations that help provide the programming. This is just so smart. Like, it, that's the thing. It seems logical. Right. Um, and like uh, it's another one of those, why haven't we had this sooner? <laughs> yeah, I mean a library slash community center as a hub. They talk in the article about you, you hop on the internet and, you know, there's like job search stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's – I mean that's one thing. Plus it's just – it's a safe place to be. And – you know, there's 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 a lot that can happen to people out there. I, I, I when I read this, I thought of the opposite reaction. And so, like earlier this year and last year, I remember there was a big conversation about, I believe in London, mm. they put down spikes. Oh, right, in I remember vestibules, that. like mm-hmm. sort of like between the sidewalk and the actual glass fronts of a of a business, they put down spike strips, basically like how. Um, how in public transportation they put up spikes on roofs or awnings to keep pigeons away. Yeah. Same kind of situation for, you know, so people don't sleep there. And I can understand not wanting to have someone sleeping outside of your business, but spikes seems a bridge too far. Mm-hmm. And, uh, es- and especially uh, when we're not talking about a business, but about a public service. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, th- so I think libraries getting in on this, uh, I'd, I hope this is a this is a trend that other cities will take on. I didn't know about the uh, the thing with Philadelphia and the, and the cafe. I'm I'm, I'm Philadelphia based. Um, oh right. That, that's that's heartening to hear that. So uh, hopefully there 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 are more uh, solutions like this. Yeah, we we talk a lot on the show about 
innovative things that libraries are doing to acknowledge the shifting role of libraries in our communities as not just hubs for books and information, but as places where people go to learn about like how to use the internet or how to fill out a job application or how to do your taxes that librarians are really playing. They're wearing a bunch of different hats in communities. And this one um, in, in Washington, D.C., one of her tasks is to train the new staffers in the library. They hired about 100 new people last year when the library system expanded its hours. And so she is introducing them to how the the uh, Washington, D.C. public libraries want their staff to think about their interactions with homeless patrons, that, you know, the people working in the library might not have worked in urban environments before or understand really what it means to be homeless or what homeless people experience. And so she's conducting some, like, sensitivity and awareness training and um, helping them helping the staff to understand, you know, how to approach interactions with homeless patrons in a way that's productive and useful. And that, that I guess is not the library interaction equivalent of putting up spikes to keep pigeons away. Um, mm. it, this is so just very human and wonderful. And I just like the idea of a library, of a, a place of, uh, of, of education and information being, as you said, like a hub. Um, mm-hmm. for so many other things to sort of, uh, to feed into that and, 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 and be influenced by, uh, a center of, a center of education and information. Yeah. Yeah. I think the word disenfranchised that she uses, that, um, Battlementi uses higher up in this piece is really important that the homeless population is dis- is disenfranchised from so many parts of contemporary life. There are a lot of things that they don't have access to, but the library is one place that we can, you know, that we can give them access to. We can control this. It's a piece of the problem that we can actively solve by making the libraries, you know, welcoming and useful and aware and sensitive. Um, And it's, it's heartening. I'm going to steal your word there to see a library system do that, you know, kind of to step and lean to lean into it, um, into the possibilities of what they could provide for an underserved population rather than seeing it as a, just another problem. And we, you know, so often read about libraries being devalued and them getting sort of the, the short end of the stick when it comes to, you know, funding and everything like that. Make the library more versatile, more important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, I think the more programming that goes into that um, you know, the, I think the more people will take an interest in what's happening with our libraries. There, that, that there, there are more interest groups than looking into, you know, uh, you know what, what what's being done with our library. What can our library do? What what can our library have to, uh, you know, to to give us an advantage? It's very cool. It makes me happy to pay taxes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Along the lines, I'm just jumping around now, Paul, so I'm sorry. That's fine. Um, but since we're talking about you know, serving populations that have been historically underserved, uh, a reader pointed a uh, Book Riot contributor named Kelly Jensen, she's one of our contributing editors, to an app that has just recently been developed. It's an iPhone app called We Read 2, T-O-O, and it, uh, its sole purpose in existing is to help. It's a free app to help readers find children's books and YA books that are by and about people of color. Um, 
earlier in the year, Jeff and I talked about a survey, a big study, like just a comprehensive study of publishing that had been done that found a remarkably tiny percent of children's and YA books were either by or about people who were not white. Um, And it's really disproportionately low when you look at the percentage of the U.S. population and the um, population of potential readers for any book that are not white. Um, So one of the things that just a group of people are doing to try to correct that and to call some attention um, to books so that you create more of a market for books by and about people of color. So hopefully more books by and about people of color will be published and bought um, is this app. Um, it's, it's very new. We'll link to it in the show notes, or you can go to facebook.com slash we read to app to get more information, search for it on iTunes. They have, they've just crossed, it looks like 550 downloads yesterday. Um, and they have about 300 books that are in the app that you can browse. Um, I downloaded it on my iPhone. I've been poking around at it. There's a great list of books, um, broken down by children's or young adults. So you can select what kind of content you're looking for. But it's this is a, just one of those things that makes me love technology. You know, that it's, oh, yeah. it's not super easy to build an app, but it's also not so difficult now that it's prohibitive to creative, innovative solutions from people who have brilliant ideas. And uh, so hats off. Lots of heroes this week. Hats off, I think, to the We Read 2 people. That's good stuff. It is good stuff. I, I, no, I think that's very important because I think for two reasons. Um, so for non-white readers at that you know, young age, it's so important to see that all these all these messages that are being thrown at these characters mm-hmm. that are, as we said, like by and large, they're white characters in these in these books um, apply to me too. Mm. That there should be that that representation, but then also for for young white readers, it's I think pretty important to understand that there are people out there who aren't just who don't look like me, right? Yeah, that, and they're the heroes of their own stories too. Absolutely, and you know that we, those of us who really you know see the world through books, look to books as the lens and the way that we interpret and the way that we make sense of things, and uh, you can understand or begin to understand the lives and experiences of people that aren't like you or who you might never know uh, in your day-to-day existence through fiction. And uh, anything that we can do to introduce more readers um, to works by writers of color and to introduce especially more young readers to works that feature characters who are people of color, I think is fantastic. Um, To see a community that Kaya Thomas is the person who developed this app, but to see people take these ideas and run with them and find, you know, find a way to make it exist, um, to point people who are looking for these kinds of books to them is really great. Cause like the, you know, the traditional book review sources are not doing it. Mm. Uh, so they made an app. And similarly, uh, I don't know how recently this was created, but a cartoonist named uh, Mari Naomi, uh, it's one word, um, came up with a database, a very simple database online of cartoonists of color. And it's that's more about not, not necessarily finding work, although you could use it for that, mm. but it's really more about networking. Oh, cool. 
because, and there have been very depressing lists of how many uh, people of color have worked on a Marvel or DC ongoing series for more than one issue. Wow. It's a s- shockingly small list. But anyways, there, and, but it's not just about, um, and it's not even necessarily just about professional cartoonists either. It's if you put out work, if you are a cartoonist, mm-hmm. it's sort of the thing. If you're a writer, you don't have to be a published writer. Right. You can be a writer and, you know, you write for yourself or you, you know, write for a smaller group, whatever you're, you're trying to break in. Or even if you're just doing it for, um, you know, your own growth, like we talked about, you know, reading just as as a way to, uh, I don't know, to, to build up your experience and an understanding of different topics um, earlier on in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is really about um, finding other people of uh, various um, you know, walks of life and from various parts of the world. Uh, and we have stories to tell. And it basically compiles sort of if they have a website, if they have a, a Twitter presence, social media presence, that kind of thing. So uh, so that's pretty cool. That as is a, cool. As a resource. And maybe, I mean, you can see the, the possibility and the potential for collaborations that could grow out of a resource like that. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's, that's big thing. so exciting. I love this time in publishing that um, like it's very fraught in publishing and in comics right now because we're having these conversations that are difficult to have about race and gender and about who is underserved and underrepresented. Um, and those underserved and underrepresented groups have been that way for a long time, but we're finally just hitting this point in the industry, but I think also just in the culture. Um, and on the internet where we're talking about these things and the conversations are not always easy and they're not always comfortable and uh, we don't always like having to admit the blind spots that we have or be presented with them and uh, we get occasionally we get emails from listeners or iTunes reviews from listeners who don't want to hear about this diversity stuff anymore but the which too bad because we're going to keep talking about it but the I think the upside is that it presents the possibility for incredible things to be done in books and in comics and in all other forms of art, but we're talking about books and comics here, um, Mm -hmm. that haven't been done before, that stories are going to be told that are going to make the world richer. Um, Stories are going to be told and characters will be created that make readers' lives richer and that give us a better understanding of ourselves and the world that we live in. And those stories are only going to exist because we had the difficult, uncomfortable conversation. And then we took the steps as a reading community to bring forward and to highlight books by people who have not been given all of the advantages that white writers have traditionally been given. And that is just the coolest thing. It's uh, it's good to be uncomfortable some of the time. If you're if you found if you find that you've been a bit comfortable for a while, then progress isn't being made. Mm. Uh, you're resting on your laurels. You might be being a bit too lazy. So get into a spot where you're going to feel uncomfortable, um, because then you're challenging yourself. You're challenging the parameters, and uh, things will things will happen. And we want things to happen. We do want things to happen, and. Cool things are starting to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're going to do our last sponsor of the show, and then we're going to talk about new books. How does that sound? That sounds good. All right. So three sponsors this week. Uh, this last one is Matched by Ali Condi. It is a uh, young adult 
Uh, the first in a young adult trilogy, it looks like, about a girl named Cassia who has always trusted the society, which is capital S here, uh, to make her choices for her. The society tells her and presumably other people in their world um, what to read, what to watch, what to believe. And when a guy named Xander, when his face appears on screen at her matching ceremony, she knows that he is her ideal mate. Uh, but that is until she sees someone named Kai Markham's face flash for an instant before the screen fades to black. Um, the society tells her that it's a glitch and that she should focus on the happy life that, of course, she, she is destined to have with Xander. But she can't stop thinking about Kai, about this face that just flashes on screen for a second. And um, they slowly fall in love while she begins to, of course, then doubt the society's infallibility. And she has this impossible choice uh, between Xander and Kai, between, uh, you know, the, the one life that she has known and doing what the society tells her to do and a path that no one else has dared to follow. Uh, the sequel, Crossed, is out and there's an epic finale called Reached. And uh, you can check out reviews for it online and you know, there's there's great. Uh, I'm looking at great blurbs for it here in the notes that they gave us from um, MTV.com, from the Wall Street Journal, um, Entertainment Weekly called it the hottest YA title to hit bookstores since The Hunger Games. Uh, and Ali also has a new standalone novel um, that comes out later in this fall. And so, if you are interested in that, um, it's called Atlantia. A T L A N T I A comes out October 28th, and you can pre-order it wherever books are sold as well. So this is matched, uh, first one in the trilogy, followed by Crossed and Reached. Uh, thank you to Ali Condi and her publisher for sponsoring the show, and a link will be in the notes if you want to check it out. It was very topical. That's what we were talking about, you know? It's sometimes you got to make the uncomfortable choice. You don't want yeah. to make the easy choice Man, to be happy in the end. That, that's a great accidental segue. Sure. <laughs> that, that never happens here. Uh do you want to tell me about new books, Paul? New books? There is a book that I am very excited about. Uh, this came out in single issues. This is a comic book. This is volume one of The Mercenary Sea. Hmm. Uh, it's out in trade paperback by Kel Simons and Matthew Reynolds. It's out from Image Comics. Image Comics, as you know, putting out a lot of our favorite books. Yeah. Uh, at Riot, uh, things like Saga and uh, Black Science, uh, all kinds of great books. But anyways, um, Sex Criminals, also from Image Which Comics. is like my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> yeah. And um, and so the Mercenary Sea is kind of like the world, like World War II's answer to the A-Team. Oh. You kind of this ragtag crew on a stolen, repurposed German U-boat. So they're in a submarine, and there are submarine battle scenes throughout. And it's this crazy crew, um, sort of like if, if uh, yeah, if, uh, if, the A-Team were coming out of World War II instead of Vietnam and drawn by the people who did, you know, the Hanna-Barbera cartoons like uh, Johnny Quest. And there's, you know, even some eye patches and stuff and, uh, and great, you know, like turtlenecks and those kinds of, uh, kinds of action heroes. And, uh, and, and it's, it's just so much fun. And uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a riot and, uh, and I love it. And, <laughs> 
What else can I say about it? It looks a little like Archer. If you're a Ooh. big fan of uh, Archer on FX, it's a I very, am. it's a very interesting visual style, sort of a cell shaded kind of look. And that, you know, Archer, I think, kind of leans towards that uh, the old Hanna Barbera Johnny Quest kind of look. So it's it's very similar sort of character designs, and it's submarines, submarine battles, um, high adventure in uh, the South Pacific. I love the hell yeah, out of this book. There's nothing about that description that doesn't just ring all of my bells. Oh, and it's, it's like $9.99. So check it out. Volume one. Yeah. It's and great. that was a great preview. I mean, for those of you who are into comics or who are starting to get into comics, you're going to hear about artwork on the O Comics podcast in a way that Jeff and I are not articulate <laughs> on this show. And so, I was I was totally inarticulate in, in talking about that, but but in general that's what that's one of the things that we're we're trying we're striving to well, do. Well that seemed very articulate to me. <laughs> <laughs> well and I think it's it's something that, you know, I've I've been writing about comics for years, but it's still something that I think a lot of us struggle with is trying to articulate what something looks like without saying, oh it's cartoony or, you know, it's sketchy. Like there are a lot of wor- like there's like three or four words that are always used mm-hmm. and we're trying to think of different ways to talk about it because it's not just illustrators um, comics artists are storytellers and so like if you think about it like a movie it's sort of like they're not just the um, you know the set designers or the cinematographers they're kind of the directors too mm-hmm. uh, they set the mood they set the rhythm and pacing of a lot of the scenes and a, a lot of different collaborations between writers and artists they're always different um, you know, one one writer might have three totally different kinds of relationships with their artist in terms of the breakdown of who of how the story is told. But anyways, that's something that we were, we're really conscious about that we want to make sure that it's not just the artist getting like a, a little paragraph or a little line at the end, like, oh, it's very expressive, you know, <laughs> so it's a big thing for us. Cool. Well, I'm going to be looking up the Mercenary Sea, for sure. Um, my new book pick for the week is Liar, Temptress, Soldier, Spy by Karen Abbott. Um, if you have not read Karen Abbott before, she does a really excellent deep dive nonfiction into badass lady stories. Um, her first book, Sin in the Second City, uh, was co- the subtitle of that is Madam's Minister's Playboys and the Battle for America's Soul. And it's set in Chicago around the same time of the World Fair or the World's Fair that was held there. It's about two sisters who moved from middle America to Chicago and opened uh, what became like the premier brothel in the city where the politicians and the heads of state who visited the city would all go. Um, they had, you know, most of the local police on the dole uh, to, to, you know, to not shut them down. But then ministers and the religious community were trying to get the vice district of the city shut down. And so these sisters were very wily um, and very charming. And it's the story, like the real true story of uh, what they did running this brothel and sort of the crazy experiences. She has a book called American Rose that's about Gypsy Rose Lee. And this new one, Liar, Temptress, Soldier, Spy, follows um, four women who went undercover in the Civil War. Uh, as spies and as soldiers, apparently also as liars and temptresses. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I believe that at least one of them disguised herself um, as a man uh, in order to do the job to that, join that the she Union did. Army, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it looks so great. And uh, our friend and Book Riot contributor, Liberty Hardy, has been raving about it. Um, it was in her new letter, her new news book. Bu- it was in her new newsletter. <laughs> 
called New Books that's going out every week from Book Riot now. But I just love Karen Abbott. I think this is such a cool topic, um, but also it's great to see a smart uh, writer, a smart woman writer, be so committed to presenting these stories about women that have not been told or have not been told um, in this way in American history. So yay for liar temptress soldier spy and and, for I, and I and i think and i think uh liberty recommending it she's read so many civil war books lately so and many. she reads so much but like she's read in like within the past couple of years i've seen so many pictures of her like book hauls with yeah. gazillion like i think she could do like a one woman show of the civil war she probably with, like could. reenactment like like one half of her is gray and the other half is blue <laughs> Yeah, she so could just dye her hair great. half and half. Yeah. It does sound great. Um, I'm going to the beach in a few weeks and I have it on my pile for that. Like I've had the book forever <laughs> and I keep saving it because I just want to be able to sit down and read the whole thing in one go. Um, some of my favorite books from last year by dudes are out in paperback <laughs> this week. Um, Paddle Your Own Canoe by Nick Offerman, who plays Ron Swanson on Parks and Rec. Um, you'll see all of the ways in which Ron Swanson is Nick Offerman, and then all of the ways in which Nick Offerman is different from Ron Swanson. It's very much a book about uh, walking to the beat of your own drummer or paddling your own canoe, as Offerman <laughs> puts it. Um, and about, you know, being different or weird in whatever way you are different or weird and like embracing that and going with it and just not caring when people think you're different or weird. But it's also really about um, being committed to the work that you do, whatever that work is, um, and doing a good job at it. And this is like a subgenre that I cannot resist. I think I talked about it recently when I read An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth by Chris Hadfield, but people talking about not just embracing the glamorous parts of their job, but just being committed to doing, I mean, to being excellent at whatever the thing is that they're working on. And so Offerman talks about that with woodworking, which is one of his uh, very, you know, personal passions and hobbies with acting, with growing up with all the things that he had to do on his family's farm and how, you know, learning to be a hard worker was really the piece that led to eventually getting an acting job that made him a big deal. Um, the book is really funny. Uh, he loves his wife a lot. And so there are some, you know, funny and heartfelt and like slightly TMI moments about his life with her. Um, it was, it was really great. Uh, and so I recommend that if you're looking for a fun paperback. Also, I've heard it's fantastic on audio. Uh, and also, the um, I was trying to come up with a segue, but I just didn't have it there. Um, the Dark <laughs> Path by, not Nick Offerman, by David Schickler uh, is out in paperback this week as well. Schickler uh, is a fiction writer, but this is a memoir about how when he was a kid and a young man, he felt called to become a Catholic priest, that he would go walking on this dark path behind his family's house, and that's where he would feel the presence of God, it's where he would pray, and it's where he he would go to contemplate what he was going to do with his life. He was just certain that he was going to become a priest. Um, but then he hit puberty and then he started dating and then he went to college and he discovered like that he also really liked women and sex, which is a complicating factor for a man who wants to become a priest. Um, and it's just so, this is the book about, you know, trying to discern which way to go um, and him being torn between a life of faith and a life with his family or the, the potential family and what would it mean about him if he's 
passed up this calling to be a priest. Um, it also, it's just so honest and candid and funny. And he lays bare some really embarrassing moments from his life, like sort of weird rules that he made up for himself about how far he could go with a girl and still someday become a priest. Oh. <laughs> that are like, like I'm feeling a little uncomfortable thinking about them now. <laughs> That's like, it's like what edging on orange is the new black. It is. <laughs> Uh, yeah, except I'm a little, I'm a little annoyed that it's not called like hot under the collar or something <laughs> like that, but the dark path is okay. I guess it just sounds, it sounds like the new Stephen King book or something, but whatever. it does hot under the collar would have been great. Wait, just as a can, subtitle or something. We can Come adopt on. it or adapt it to, um, to comic form. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be dear David Schickler. Hmm. As a comic, that would be... Uh, maybe they could get him to... like Maybe uh, Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky could get David Schickler's approval to make him a side character in Sex Criminal. <laughs> oh, that'd be, that'd be kind of great, actually. No, I'm I'm fascinated to, to, to read this. Um, my grandmother wanted me to be a priest. Mm. Um, and I was like, eh, not so much. Um, but, but yeah, so I, I, was, I was actually very, very religious for a while. Not, I don't consider myself religious right now, but uh, I've always found, you know, faith very, you know, very interesting subject. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, there's obvious tension, you know, to, to the conceit of this book. So yes. it sounds like a great read. It is. It's a really great read, and I, I highly recommend, and it's out in paperback now, The Dark Path, David Schickler. Those are the new books, and this has been our show. Paul, you made it. I made it. We did it. I, I hope I didn't. I hope nobody unsubscribed. Don't unsubscribe. <laughs> Jeff will be back. It will be fine. And yeah, Jeff will be back next week. And then um, Preethi, who is your co-host at O Comics, will be on with Jeff at some point while I'm on vacation. Oh, that um, should be fun. Yeah. And if you're listening to this, it means you're probably subscribed to the Book Riot podcast in iTunes or your pod catcher of choice. And you should also be able to see an uh, episode titled Interlude Number 3, Introducing O-Comics, and you'll be able to hear Paul and Preethi give, it's like a seven-minute preview of what they're going to do every week talking about the world of comics. Um, it's going to be really fun and funny, uh, and you'll want to add that to your podcast rotation as well and learn some stuff about comics. Oh, it's, it's going to be silly, and we're going we're gonna to have fun. I'm looking forward to it. When I was trying to decide, you know, who's going to be my co-host for this, I was like, well, I'm going to have to do this every week. I want to be smiling and, and laughing and having fun so preethi's got to do it so i'm so excited to listen to it every week it's, it's just going to be a blast um, yeah, good old time if you want to keep up with us you can follow book riot all over the internet at bookriot.com and of course on twitter and facebook i am at rebecca shinsky on twitter and paul is at fuzzy typewriter which is also the name of the podcast that he hosts about stories storytellers art and artists uh with dave acampo who will be writing for panels um, occasionally I make appearances on that show and talk Shameless. about TV. <laughs> you did that pitch very well. Was, Thanks. When is she going to pass it over to me? No, she can't. Got it. Uh, yeah. I wasn't going to make you pitch yourself. We okay. don't do that the first time around. Uh, if you like the show, you like what you're hearing here and you want to help others find it, a review um, or a star rating or both if you're feeling fancy on iTunes will be very much appreciated and will help other people find the show. We do read all the reviews. You can shoot us an email at podcast at bookriot.com with thoughts, questions, rants, whatever. Uh, and you can find the show notes at bookriot.com slash podcast. 
Thank you to our sponsors this week, to Audible and I Want It That Way by Anne Aguirre and Matched by Ali Condi. Links to all of that stuff will be in the show notes as well. And you can get your free Audible trial and audiobook download at audiblepodcast.com slash book riot. Have a good week, y'all. See ya.